this time, these children may go to Children's Church. I want to let all our ladies know, um, whether you're mother or not, we will have a, a carnation uh, to give to you. The, I believe our young ladies are going to be handing those out as you leave uh, today, so we want to make sure that you're able to uh, pick those up as a, a Mother's Day gift uh, today for you. I'll do a, a premarital question, one of my sessions, and, and talking to the couples um, and getting married. I ask them to list out the five times they have felt most loved in their life, outside of a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, because that gets us some problems. Uh, but just as they look back, what times have you felt most loved? That was a question that was asked me uh, in our pre-marriage uh, counseling. I thought, well, I've never had that question asked. So if you never had that question asked, do it. Think, think through it. When have you felt most loved? Uh, and think through some of the common denominators uh, as, you, as you remember. Uh, and I remember thinking that one of the, the memories, and it was hard to, uh, to put it all together in one single act, but it was this lifetime of my mother just serving in untold ways throughout any given day uh, without much uh, fanfare. She just did, whether it's making my meals uh, to helping me uh, in laundry in various ways, and I mean, it's just it was a sacrificial act. And so I learned that acts of service was one of my love languages. It's one of the things that you try to learn. And, and when we think about mothers, even as we just recounted the videos and, and we thought about it today, it, it's funny how inevitably it goes to serving. Acts of serving from the very get-go of uh, putting your life on the line uh, and using your body uh, to nourish uh, a child that's growing within you, uh, the serving aspect of a mother from the very beginning continues throughout. And so I, I wanted to take the time uh, to talk about serving, using Mark 10 verse 45 uh, as a primary text uh, as we look at this. Um, and in so doing, not only talk about mothers, but also to talk about all of us <coughs> as believers <coughs> What does it mean to serve the Lord in a church, as well as if we're not a believer? Why does serving come to be a part of following Christ? How does that, that fit in? And so, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it's, it's done in this interesting context where, well, his disciples are competing. They're arguing with one another. In fact, James and John are trying to, to get in good with Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, can you give us a, a seed of honor uh, in the end time? And then, of course, all the other disciples get angry about this. And this little competition ensues of who is the best. And so in that context, Jesus has this interesting statement. And we're really just going to focus on verse 45. But in honor of this being God's word, let's just stand as we read Mark chapter 10. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. So do you feel like Jesus is serving you? 
are you feeling like you're serving Jesus? Which one is it? Uh, have you ever had these uh, thoughts? Let's say maybe you, uh, uh, you go home from working at the, the community black party. You've been all day out in the sun uh, working from, uh, well, let's say 10 to about 4 or 5. Just all day. And you come home. And I call you up and say, I forgot, we are out of supplies for communion on Sunday. Do you mind stopping in and getting some bread? What's your thought process at that moment? Several things. How did he forget that? What's, you know, <laughs> but then maybe, do you ever think, really? I've been working all day. Can I get a break at some point? Or perhaps maybe you've had a working at vacation Bible school that's coming up and, and you've been working all week and, and you did you did your 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 job, you what you signed up to do, and, and you, you finish after the last day and you go home and you think, now the rest of the week is mine. I can do what I want. Have you heard that thought? Or perhaps maybe it's uh um, you've been working and you do it week in, week out. You know, you just serve the Lord uh, faithfully. And, uh, you know, perhaps maybe there's a Sunday where uh, the pastor, and I'm, I'm kind of sitting there and just thanking people uh, for the work they've done. But I forget your name. And you go home just thinking, really? I mean, for all the stuff I've been doing, and, and they cannot even recognize the work that's, that's happened here. And you go home maybe just disillusioned, disappointed. Have you ever had these thoughts? I, I'm just going to share with you that these have been thoughts that have crossed my mind at different times. Um, but I would also want to present to you that these, this type of thinking reveals something very unhealthy that given enough time will exhaust you and burn you out. They're revealing something about what we believe about God and this life. And at the core of it, we've kind of lost this this thought of Jesus has come to serve, which is amazing. I can imagine how it's hard to believe that. Jesus has come to serve me. And we read verses like uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We read that and we think, I don't know how that is true. How is that true? When I follow Christ, he's asked me to, to lay down my life, take up the cross and follow him, which is a life of service. And then he goes on and says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does that mean when Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden? Part of what he's bringing out is that the heart and the motive of serving makes a drastic difference on how you see serving. The motive behind it. 
the heart behind it, and all these, these kind of scenarios I brought to you kind of reveal a twisting of our heart away from what Jesus has, has directed us in and which gives us life and gives us joy. And so I want to talk about this a little bit. And before I, I get into what Jesus has ransomed us for at Mark 10, 45, let me just kind of deviate a little bit and just bring out some maybe wrong views of serving Christ. Some, way, some ways that reveal maybe a wrong view of God, or a wrong view of mankind, including ourselves, and how it kind of morphs in serving uh, God. So let's look at this. First of all, do we serve Jesus to get something from God? There's a tendency where we serve Jesus to get something from God. We think, well, if I do this, then God's going to give back to me some way, some form. Sometimes it comes in the form of hope. You know what? <clears throat> we're going um, to try to serve God because we want our church to grow. And so if we serve God well then God's going to reward and give us growth. And our hope is based in our service. Or maybe it's in your family. If you serve God well, then your family will turn out okay. Perhaps it comes out in fear. You know what? I didn't take time to pray and read the Bible today, so this is going to be a bad day. There's that sense of fear that I didn't serve God, so now God's going to bring it back to me this day. Or perhaps maybe it comes out in some kind of bitterness. You know what? I served God for all these years, and look how life has treated me. He has been unfair to me. And now, because perhaps your family life or your death has come or sickness and disease has been coming, we see God as cheating on the deal. And now there is a bitterness that is there. This is an idea of somehow that we can get something from God. When we look at life like this, we're treating God something like a, a pagan ritual. You know how you go do these in pagan rituals? You, you go to a various uh, people group that have uh, different religions, and, and they'll say, you know, if, if, if you just pour out some blood on this little stone right here, then you can have good fortune your way. I remember doing this even uh, at, at tea time and and uh, East Asia drinking tea, and they have this little stone god, and you pour a little tea on top of this frog or something like that, and, and blessings are going to come your way. You go home and think, all right, expectations are happening for me. Are you, you, know, you see this even in the airplanes now, don't you? Uh, everybody's got the little rosary beads, and the different things are going to come out to say, I hope, this, I hope this, uh, this trip ends up safely. It's this idea of serving to get something from God. Yet Jesus says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So I'm just going to say that's not what Jesus is speaking to and what he's providing. There's another way that we kind of look at this uh, a little bit off. Uh, sometimes we're thinking, you know, I, I'm going to serve God to be good enough for him. Thinking, Can somehow I be good enough for him? And so we think if, if God will, will somehow uh, see my life as worthwhile, then maybe he will accept me and receive me. Uh, or maybe, you know, God, we believe that God's forgiven us of our sins, but for, for God to continue in this relationship, I've got to keep on serving him. Let me just share with you that God did not receive you and love you because of your service. 
In fact, I'm, I'm reminded of this in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. If you just want to turn there, you can read this little story of uh, how Jesus brought a scenario of two people. One, a tax collector, which is kind of like the public center, the known center, the traitor. And then there's this Pharisee, which is the serving people, the religious person. And these two people are praying in the temple. One is proud, the Pharisee, and he looks at this tax collector and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like this other man, extortioner, unjust, adultery, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I give. But the tax collector, standing far off, simply said, not lifting up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus brings these scenarios and says, I'll tell you, this last person goes home uh, hearing God, God hearing him, that he's justified, not because of his works of service, but because God is serving the people who are honest with themselves and need God's mercy. And so you need to understand that serving isn't a way to uh, to see ourselves as worthwhile or to get something from God or to pay him back. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love. And it talks about all this list of serving, but if we don't love, he says all this listing of service is a waste. And so sometimes we think, I've got to pay him back. Can you imagine uh, when we're paying him back for the things he's done, how that is an underestimation of the gift of God? Now, can you imagine if you had your child and you give them uh, a gift for Christmas, and, and as soon as you give them the gift, they're going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go into the sink and I'm going to start washing dishes. And why are you washing dishes? Well, I need to pay you back for that gift you've given me. It's like, no, that's a gift. It, when you start paying him back, it undermines love. We don't serve God to pay him back because you can't pay him back. It underestimates what God has done. And you don't see your own sin. It becomes then about you. Serving is not about you. It's not paying him back. We keep on reading and thinking about this. There's the, the wrong view of God of thinking somehow I can get something from God or, or somehow I'm going to pay him back. And I think about Luke 15. You know the story of Luke 15? You've got the, the, the search for the prodigal son. The father and his two sons. And there's this young son who says to his father, Father, why don't you just go ahead and give me your inheritance. Give me half of everything now. And let me just leave and I'm going to do what I want to do. And the father just says, okay, amazingly. And he goes and squanders his, his, his gift. It comes to the point where he realizes, I need to come back. Because I can't make it on my own. I'm eating pig's food. I, I'm in a better position. Even my, my servants and my father are in a better state. And he wants to come back and, and tries to be a servant. And as he says, Father, let me be as your servant. Then the, the father says no. He cuts him off and says, I'm going to bring you in as my son. But you remember there's an older brother. An older brother who sees the party that's given for the son. And the older brother is mad. Because he says to the father. <clears throat> thank you. He says to the father. You know what? I've served you all these times, and not once have you had a feast for me. In all those parables that Jesus gives, he's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, and then there's a lost son. It's always about the celebration and seeking. But he says this lost son, here is an older brother, doesn't celebrate. Because he sees that instead, that it should have been that he got the gifts from the Father because he's always served. Neither one of the sons treated the father right. 
They treated the fathers as something to give, someone to give us something and never saw the father as the treasure. Too many times we kind of fall into that older brother mentality of, I'm going to serve you, God, and see if you can give me the gifts because I serve you. But then there's a wrong view of ourself and others. Do we serve Jesus, not just to pay him back, but maybe serve Jesus to impress other people? You see this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. If you turn there for a second in Matthew 6, 1 and 2. He says, Jesus is saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Here's Jesus saying, when we're serving, it's not about impressing other people. When we start trying to impress other people, then it becomes, well, I become defined by the opinions of others. You've noticed that? I serve because, well, it's who I am. It's my glory. I'm, I'm, I do this because this is just what I do. And people know me as this type of person. It becomes my glory, but that glory is defined by the opinions of other people. And then it becomes a competition. That's what happened in Jesus' time in Mark chapter 10. You see that with the request of James and John, verse 35 and 36, and then disciples' reaction, and they're just angry because who is this guy thinking that they, they, they serve better than the others? And they want the praise of others, and they fight for it. This will cause you to sink. Because your identity is being defined by something other than Jesus. The opinions of the people. You know that happens in church, right? This is easy for us to morph down this road. Because we're a church and we're called to a mission. We work together to serve Christ. But sometimes we deviate as to why. And the competition ensues. As we try to impress and let the opinions of others define us. Sometimes the idea of, I want to serve because I want to belong somewhere. But that identity is not in Christ. We keep on reading. What, what's some other things here? There's, there's sometimes we have this idea that we serve Jesus because Jesus needs me. Have you ever fallen into that trap? I'm going to serve him because he needs me. I just ask this question. What if you stop doing? What if you stop doing what you're doing? I don't know. There's going to be some, some things that aren't happening anymore. But God is going to raise up people that he wants to do this. He can, he can raise up anybody he wants to. His kingdom isn't dependent on you. He has the power and he is the king and he, and he is moving. He can, he, can, he can cause up rocks to, 
to do the work. He's, he's amazing that way. And so we can't think that I'm here to do this because Jesus needs me. I remember thinking that at, at, <clears throat> when I was in seminary, I was going to go on my first mission trip, and I think I'm gonna, I've got a lot to offer on this mission trip. I mean, I've got this knowledge, and, and I can share the gospel. And, and, I, and you know, I kind of shared that one of the first opportunities I had was I just handed out a, a tract that explained everything in Spanish. And, and next thing you know, the guy was reading this, and he was praying. And I came over and said, do you understand what? And he's like, yeah, I do understand this. And I've been, I'm praying this, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And I thought to myself, you mean all I had to do was just give him the information? I didn't need a seminary degree to that, you know? And that's when it dawned on me, God doesn't need seminary degrees. He doesn't need certain things. He he wants to use me. He wants to use us, but it's not something that he needs. So we don't serve because Jesus needs us. In fact, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Turn for Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now as they were went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Did you get Martha was distracted by serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary is just talking with Jesus. Mary's just enjoying a relationship that is there. Martha is trying to impress Jesus with her house, with her hosting skills. Jesus can't be easily impressed have you have you caught on to that i mean he created the world i mean the most beautiful thing that you have ever seen he has allowed to happen with a word and we're not going to just impress him with our hosting skills with our our serving that's not how that works this isn't working so that we can serve jesus and impress him because he needs us so much and so he's hitting on something that Martha was missing out on that Mary was capturing this is about a relationship with Jesus let me just bring to you a verse Hebrews chapter eleven six. for busy hearts Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please God For he must believe that he is, and that he is, now get this, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God is not pleased by our busyness. He is pleased when there is a heart that believes that God is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here's the thing about serving. Serving is about seeking Jesus. Serving is about seeking Jesus. Obedience is about putting myself in a position where I can get more of God. 
And that is the reward. The rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The greatest reward is Jesus, is relationship with him, is knowing him, is to have right relationship with God. Not whether or not someone's impressed or that you feel needed. If you are operating so that you feel needed, you will self-destruct. You will burn out. If you're operating so that you can impress others, you will self-destruct. You will burn out. If you're operating so you can pay God back, you will self-destruct. You will burn out in the process. So, what do we have here? When we look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he's come not to be served because there's no life in that. Isn't that crazy? And all the praying, all the reading the Bible, all the church activities, and all the charity work, and all giving to other people, there is no life in that because apart from Jesus, there is no life. And the only way you get to Jesus is not by our serving, but Jesus serving us. So, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. On September 17th, 1992, in over Oxfordshire, England, there was a, a fighter bomber, US F-111, was flying with two, Captain Jerry Lynn and Major Mike McGuire. But as they were flying their routine, there was a total hydraulics failure in the airplane, which gave them very little ability to control. The flight or control pilots were, were telling them, you need to eject, you need to eject. But if they ejected, they knew that there would be no direction whatsoever in the plane over the village that was below them. So instead of ejecting at that direction, they decided that they would control the plane as long as they could, leaving them no time to eject, thus dying. These two men served whole village by directing something that would have destroyed them, not even knowing who these people were in the village. But imagine this a little bit different. What if in that scenario, these two pilots happened to know that within this village were houses of people, of maybe a specific person or family, that were trying to target them and to kill them and to kill their family. And yet the captain and the major still stayed on in the airplane to save them. This gives us a little bit of a picture of what God has done through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, knowing that there was wrath, there was a holy wrath because of our sin, of how we've ignored God, how we've rejected Him in time after time, and insulted Him, and been an enemy to Him, as Ephesians 2 says, a child of wrath. Yet, God, knowing this about us, knowing our heart, knowing our decisions, our thought life, yet still navigated it. So that Jesus would be crushed by his holy wrath to spare us. Jesus came not to be ministered unto because he had 
no need, and he still doesn't have any need. But he's come to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus accomplish when he ransomed himself for us? There's two or three titles that I want to give to you that just radically changes how we serve. First of all, when Jesus came to ransom us, he made us friends. He made us friends. What does that look like? Well, in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, You before have been known as servants. Henceforth, no more will you be known as my servant. But instead, I call you friend. Greater love hath no than this, then someone lay down his life for a friend. You are my friend if you do what I command you. No longer to call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. From now on, we're not known just as a servant, but we serve a friend. You know, if I hired a, a tax collector or a taxi driver or an Uber driver, and there's a couple of your Uber drivers, they're, uh, they're, they might ask me where I'm going because they need to go. But if they ask me why I'm going, I'm really under no obligation to tell them why I'm going where I'm going because they are just serving. But if I call you up as a friend and say, hey, can you take me to the airport? You have every right, and I'm freely willing to share why I'm going to the airport. There is an, an understanding of what we're doing together. When Jesus says, I've called you my friend, because he has laid out for us in his word what his game plan is, what his, his, his dream is. So we don't always know the details of the why, but we know what God is accomplishing for us. And through us, and that he is a friend working on our behalf. And so it changes radically when I'm serving, I'm serving as a friend that I want to have in my life. <clears throat> I share with you that uh, I've experienced what it is to work for a friend on a Christmas tree uh, farm. And uh, people gave me a hard time because I, I, was, I was working hard. <laughs> and they didn't want to work quite as hard. But see, they just knew him as a boss. But I knew him as a friend. That I wanted to serve in some way and be a part of. So Jesus has, has called us and, and made us a friend. But not only has he done that, he's gone on beyond and, and he's called us a bride. He has ransomed us to be as a bride. Some of you were hopefully maybe friends with your spouses before you became husband or wife. So Jesus is saying, not only are we friends, but we are husband and wife. We are a spousal relationship together. And so <clears throat> what we do now, we serve, we love because of how God has loved us. We don't serve to be loved. We serve because we are loved. We serve to enjoy the love, to reflect the love. And that's why when we have this thought, this statement behind us, like, man, I'm glad that's over with. Now the rest of the week is mine. It is a betrayal 
of the love relationship. Because we don't just say to our spouse, here, let me do this deed for you on Mother's Day. Well, another year's over with Mother's Day. Glad that's over with. Now the rest of the year's mine. (laughs) Doesn't work that way, does it? No, no, it doesn't. It is a an act we do that is born out of love to express love. When we serve the Lord here, it is because of a spousal relationship between the Father and the Son. Because He's loved us. And as we serve in this way, it is a way to enjoy His love and to give love back. Reciprocating. So I just want to challenge you that as we serve in whatever capacity, if, if we're not able to at that moment to say, this is about my love relationship with God, then you might be doing more harm than good in continuing the work. He has called us and ransomed us to be a friend. He's ransomed us to be a bride. Let me just share with you Ephesians chapter 5. We'll get there eventually. Uh, by probably June. Ephesians chapter 5. Where's this beautiful picture? Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we're not learning about Christ because of marriage. We're learning about marriage because of Christ. So the the idea is as Jesus has sacrificially loved to make us better, so too we do the same husbands to the wife. And as the church is to say to the, the groom, I allow you to cross my will and I will do it joyfully. So too, wives, we say we want to respect our husbands and to submit that it's about a love relationship that is surrendering and giving of one to another. And the last title I want to give you what Jesus ransomed us to be. Not just a friend, not just a bride, but a son. A son. This goes back to that prodigal son story, doesn't it? Luke chapter 15. Where the father's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter whether you deserted me or whether you stayed on and been faithful in the work. It's about you being my son. I don't accept you as a servant. Remember the, the young son said, I wanted to, Lord, I, I don't want to come back as your son. Let me at least be your servant. And before he even finished his sentence, the father cut him off and said, Bring the fatted calf. Bring the best robe for my son. Bring rings for his fingers. Let him enjoy that he is my son. Because that is what I want. He had not done one chore since coming back. I kind of wish that Jesus kept the story going and told us the next day. The next day, when the father calls the sons to the fields, what would have been their attitude? Would the young son come back? Would he grumble? No. He would enter to the fields joyously, saying, I have an amazing father 
how he has given to me, how he has served me, and I exult in what my father has done. We don't know what the older son's attitude would have been. But unless things had changed, he would have gone to it grumbling, bitter, and looking for when it would be over and the rest of the day was his. What I love about this is that, you know, we're all messed up. We're all broken. But it doesn't seem to be the qualification. Whether we're good and we serve right. He says, if you're broken and you're messed up, I want you as, a, as my son. This isn't some kind of masculinity favoritism. This is to say that you are in Christ, who is the Son of God. And so, because whether you're man or woman, we are in Christ, we have that position of heir before the Father. And so, I just want you to walk away from here. And I want you to understand that on Mother's Day, as we think about the moms who have served, and I know there's some moms that are tired and worn out, and there's the rest of us who aren't moms that may be tired and worn out. But I just wanted to say, consider how we have someone who serves us. And to perhaps maybe to get our heart and our attitude off of people's reactions to our service, off to our identity as servants, off to trying to pay Jesus back as servants, but to see it as this is an opportunity for me to enjoy God. Let me look for him as I serve the Lord. I assure you, that is a radical difference. You might do some of the same things you always did, but the reasons why are forever different. And so I just want to end with a time of prayer and ask ourselves this question. Are we trying to serve God because we feel like he lacks in some way or somehow it makes us better and this is about us? Or are we serving God because we have enjoyed and known a love that has been given to us? And we want to have more of that in our life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, Lord, I just share with you, there is a God who loves you immensely. And Jesus has demonstrated it. Would you trust in this God? Would you confess your sins to him? Allow him to wash you and cleanse you with the blood of Jesus so you can be accepted and known by him. Let's pray.